<laughs> Hello, my name is Zephyr, and I will be having a conversation with Yin Yi for the New York City Trans Oral History Project in collaboration with the New York Public Library's Community Oral History Project. This is an oral history project centering on the experience of trans-identifying people. It is June 11th, 2017, and this is being recorded at Yi's apartment. Um, why don't we start by telling me your name and your age, if you'd like to. Cool. So, um, I'm Yin Yi. I'm 26, and I live here in Brooklyn, this beautiful borough. Incredible. What are your gender pronouns? Uh, he, him. Mm-hmm. And how would you describe your gender, if that's something that you've thought about thought or felt about things or about? Thought things about, exactly. Um... I think for simplicity's sake, I usually say that I'm a trans man, um, but I identified as genderqueer for a pretty long time uh, growing up, and I still kind of feel that way in terms of, like, I I didn't really, like, have a sense of, like, dysphoria with my body, um, and I think that or at least I didn't, like, know what it's supposed to feel like, because who describes that to you unless you're, like, actually severely feeling it? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, coming into figuring out my identity only actually happened pretty recently. So I would say I'm, like, on the trans-masculine spectrum and, but, and very much, like, identify as a man. Of course. Great. Thank you for that answer. And when and where were you born? So I was born in China in 1991. Great. What was your early childhood life like? <sighs> um, is this a question that you want to warm up to, or are you comfortable jumping straight into that? I could jump into it, but it could, mm-hmm. it could be a long answer. Yeah, if, take like, as much time as you'd like to. Yeah, um, so as a kid, I... Um, I actually grew up for the first couple of years of my life in China, and um, I immigrated to the U.S. because my dad was going to graduate school. Um, oh, actually, not the U.S., North America. Mm-hmm. Canada. <laughs> Canada, the mm-hmm. other country. Also Mexico. Wait, there are other, yeah, there are mm-hmm. a bunch of other countries in North America. Um, I just thought it was New York City. I, I also did, mm-hmm. um, because it's such a big country, the one right. that we live in. Um, so, yeah, we immigrated to Canada. Um, I lived there for a while, and basically we just kind of followed my dad's graduate school slash professional pattern, um, mm-hmm. which is pretty typical of, like, patri- the patriarchal life. Um, my mom also, like, is kind of, I would say, like, a successful... Um, career person Mm -hmm. so she like is an electrical engineer and like kind of started getting jobs basically at broadcast stations and she would get a job basically every time we had to move um so I ended up in California went for a year um because my dad was going to Berkeley and then I moved to southern Illinois not Chicago um for Basically, like, uh, elementary school through high school. Yeah. And what, how much time did you spend in California to start with? Um, I spent a year there. My mom actually was still in Canada for a period of that time because she was finishing out her job or something. 
Um, so my grandparents were actually with us and, um, yeah, I have like really good memories of my grandparents being around and stuff like that. They're um, on my mother's side, so mm -hmm. yeah. But I was always kind of like a more tomboyish kid. I had a huge imagination, was not really into Barbies, that type of stuff, but I did have a Barbie, but she was just really like part of the collection of stuffed animals and the cast of characters that I like created. Mm -hmm. um, but I remember I had this like really great blue bomber jacket and these really like, um, what are they called? Ray-Ban like sunglasses mm -hmm. that I always loved to wear. And I also had a Batman uh, bicycle, which for my first bicycle, I outgrew it mm -hmm. and I got a Barbie one afterwards, which was not as fun. But I can imagine. For, yeah, for a while it was like, whoa, this is like, I feel awesome and I always like, um, I always really identified with like this feeling of like this in retrospect was a pretty masculine ideal of myself that was also um, that to me was just like cool mm -hmm. yeah of course what are some other memories that you have of your early life around this time pertaining towards gender or otherwise through my feelings mm -hmm. yeah um, I remember playing like in daycare with a group of kids and one who I really liked she was really cute and had little like hair things um and there's a memory that I have of like um rollerblading through the apartment complex where we all lived and I saw her and I like fell like I just saw her and I was like <gasps> um so that's a that's kind of a cute memory I think for my like very young not knowing what was going on like sexuality mm -hmm. um but yeah i played a lot of games i had gotten into a fight with a kid over be pretending to be the blue power ranger because i was because i wasn't allowed to be one of the boy characters and mm -hmm. i still have a scar from that actually which is oh like God. pretty great mm -hmm. he like scratched me and, oh, wow. and that was it you know like mm -hmm life-threatening wound of course did you receive that sort of pushback a lot as a little kid for um instances of stepping outside of your gender box so to speak um i mean it was kind of this like i think there was like it was appropriate for me up until a certain point like um, I love dollhouses, too. Mm -hmm. Like, there was, like, some, like, femme feels of, like, oh, man, like, I love this tea set. I love dollhouses. I love, like, like my apartment, obviously. It's, like, I love pretty things. Like, mm -hmm. um, so there was always that aspect that I think that I could capitalize on and, like, reflect, like, the desired gender thing. Mm -hmm. um, but I also really love swords and, like, always asked for them um i like played with whenever i would go back to china i would play with my cousins in these like really aggressive ways mm -hmm. of just like okay now we're like playing soccer and we're gonna see who can kick the ball at like as hard as possible at the wall it's like squash but with a soccer ball mm -hmm. basically or like 
yeah, I just remember being competitive around those things, and it would be, like, unladylike for me, because I'd be wearing, like, in my parents' defense, like, silk dresses that they, like, got me because it was so hot, um, and I would just, like, muss them up or something like that, and playing like that, actually, like, speaking of more scars, like, I ended up at one point crashing into a, like, huge um, armoire that had, like, decorative, like, beautiful glass detailed designs on it, and I broke it, like, Mm -hmm. shattered the glass, and I have scars from the glass going down my body, had to go to the hospital, that type of stuff, so, Mm -hmm. um... Yeah, I mean, I think that my, growing up, my whole relationship to gender was just that I, like, tried as much as possible to not pay attention to my body. Like, I would just be wearing whatever, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. just, there's a general disinterest in what I looked like, or it wasn't that I hated myself, or that that I didn't like myself, um, but it was more of a, like this is what my face looks like, this is what my body looks like, this is what I've got. So, um, yeah, and and that changed a lot after I started experimenting a lot more with masculinity. Mm -hmm. And I know that you said that you moved around a lot as a kid. Did that Mm -hmm. impact how you sort of, the various places you were living in, did that impact how you viewed your body or how you interacted with it at all? I would definitely say that being in, like, being in Illinois for my more formative years was actually really important not only along lines of gender but also race like I'm from a town that was like 85% 93% white depending on it was like one of those towns that's actually two towns you know like um so I yeah I looked it up on Wikipedia at one point and it was like oh shit like there's a lot of white people here and that was just something that I never thought or questioned um when I was there so I had friends who would, like, come up to me and, like, do the, like, slanty-dyed, like, hi thing. And, like, um, I remember uh, as a kid, like, seven or eight, I um, started doing this thing called the sting. And I, and I don't remember, actually, what the origins were, but it was, like, supposed to be an ancient kung fu, like, move that other little kids had to be aware for me. So I'm I'm guessing that there was some sort of bullying going on, like mm-hmm. where people would say shit to me about like whatever with like my race. Actually when I was in California, I ended up in a fight with this other kid who like I was in the first grade and this kid was in the third grade. Um but basically he ended up kicking me in the face. Um but we were fighting because he was like, where are your, like, what are your kung fu moves? Or usually it's karate because Japanese and Chinese are not different at all. I don't know if you knew this. Um, so, yeah, I just remember that because it was so, it's like in retrospect so ridiculous of right. like, you have to prove like the authenticity of your race mm-hmm. um, through this like really orientalist idea of like what you should be capable of. Um, or centralist idea, mm-hmm. um, and that kind of followed me through other parts of elementary school. Also, like, um, there would be moments where, like, like in the third grade, I, um, like, this, uh, this girl who was in one of my classes came up to me and started, like, saying, like, ching chong ching type of stuff to me, and just, like, 
it really affected me, but I didn't know why, and I just said I didn't want to go to school anymore. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I think race was just, like, a huge part of my experience in the Midwest, and um, it also is a, like, like the Chinese background is also a, a really complicating factor in my um, acceptance and ability to experiment with myself and how I felt about my own gender. So... Mm-hmm. Um, and those are two things that I'm still kind of like working with and figuring out. Of course. Yeah. Um, so it sounds like a lot of the more explicit racism occurred when you were in Illinois. Is that correct to say? Or is that just that you spent more time there? So it came more to the surface. I think I spent more time there. Kids also like mimic the types of racism that they see like, Mm -hmm from adults in their life, I would mm-hmm. say. Um, it, I would say racism is still a thing in my life, um, uh, but course. it's a lot more, it's a lot more subtle. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can be explicit, but it can be done in a way where like, um, if I get angry, it's like an overreaction and uncalled mm-hmm. for, and there's no way to directly talk about those things or, um, there are ways, but it's tough. Um, and I find it still difficult to do with even white friends who are progressive and out, like want to be allied in the right ways. Like, there's only a certain amount of emotional labor that you can get to and feel like, Ugh, is this worth it? Mm-hmm. Since you mentioned um, this briefly, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit more mm-hmm. about the ways in which you felt like, or the ways in which your gender was racialized growing up. Mm-hmm. Um... Well, I guess, like, I I would love to hear more about what you're thinking with that question, like, maybe some more clarification. Oh, yeah, 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 of course. I was just, about a minute or two ago, you talked about how um, um, racism and being racialized um, and being from a Chinese background all played a pretty big role in how Mm -hmm. you were experimenting or thinking about your gender. So I was just wanting to follow that train of thought a little bit more. Um... So that one, I guess that one, that's a little more complicated just because, um, so I'm, I just started reading this book called Asian American Sexualities that's like from the 90s, and it's like an anthology of like essays um, about like queer Asian Americans. Um, but so I started reading the intro, and there's one particular part, I think the author is Russell Long, um, but they are saying... Um, that the connection between home and one's own body and sexuality are really separated in a, like, Western immigrant experience for Asian American people. And I actually quite, uh, I, like, quite relate to that. Um, so the main thing about that is that um, there's a certain amount of like homophobia attached to like um, coming out for me like I came out when I was 13 Um, my mother read my diary and as bisexual at the time and I had a crush on someone Um, but it was one of those like huge violations of privacy Mm -hmm. that are also just like it's understood that you don't have privacy as well so I learned a lot about computers 
and now that's how I'm a software engineer. But anyway, um, the so I had to kind of like um, attach myself to my race in a way where it was, that was not that like owned it in kind of the face of racism, but also owning my race meant that there was other stuff that I couldn't be or do um, with regard to my sexuality or um, my gender. So, like, gender stuff, I honestly, like, was way, like, like really only as recently as, like, seven months ago um, that I, like, that I really started admitting to myself things that I don't feel or, like, things that I want. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a lot easier, I think, to use my sexuality, or not use my sexuality, but, like, understand my sexuality because it was external for me. Mm-hmm. Um, when you like another person, it's, like, very clear, whereas, like, what is the thing that I like about myself? That's so much harder. <laughs> um, and why gender, I think gender is, like, so much harder to um, talk about in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what, how we get the trapped in the wrong body, like, right. rhetoric. Of course. Um, so yeah, it, it's just like kind of a precarious balance of like, what does it mean to be queer and trans and Asian? Mm-hmm. Um, and how do I own my childhood and my family and my sense of home at the same time as exploring this idea that I'm also like not of the gender that I've been assigned and like mm-hmm. that I want to imagine family and home in a way that includes queerness. Right. What are some ways that you've been grappling with that? It sounds like it doesn't lend itself to easy answers. Hashtag not easy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So one of the cool things that's happening in my life right now is that I'm kind of intentionally like seeking out more Asian American spaces. So Mm -hmm. I'm doing this like really great fellowship with Asian American Writers Workshop right now. Oh my God. Yeah. Sorry, I just know a couple of other people who are doing that as well. Congratulations. Okay. Wait, who do you who else um, do you know? Rami. Oh, uh, you know Rami? Mm-hmm. Rami's coming over to my apartment in hopefully tonight. I don't know actually. They didn't say necessarily, but in like a couple of hours I'm having I'm having like a queer or not queer, but it's an Asian writers workshop here. Oh my god. Yeah. Um it's like off-brand Asian American mm-hmm. Writers Workshop, you know? Like, it's just Asian Americans who want to write. <laughs> yeah. But that's cool. Incredible. You don't yeah. live together, do you? Uh, we do. <laughs> <laughs> I love it! I said hi to them right before I came over here. Um, maybe I should edit all of this out of the interview, but... Um, uh, or you can just be, like, queer mm-hmm. fam all the way, right? right? 100%. I don't know. Unstructured, mm-hmm. right? Of course. What of is course. structure? Mm-hmm. That's I ask myself that every morning. Um, Structuralism. Mm-hmm. I hope not. I hope that's <laughs> not all that we have. Yeah, yeah. Because we're burning that shit down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, yes, I'm okay. doing... So I'm kind of intentionally um, seeking out Asian American spaces, mm-hmm. and I started this, like, meetup group that is for queer and trans Asians to literally just, like, get dim sum and talk about <laughs> binding. I don't mm-hmm. know. Like, whatever it, whatever it is, right? It's not okay. so much about, here's the agenda. It's much more about, like, who wants to come and be part of this community and who needs it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that, honestly, writing has taught me a lot about, of, like, uh, how to bring people together and get them to show up to workshop, like, 
every single week. Like it's the people who want want it to happen who are going to show up, and that's who your community is going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, it really translates to a lot of things, <laughs> also friendships, like right. that type of thing. But um, I think in particular, like having a structure around like this is a th- like my Asianness and a community around that is something that I want. And so, how can I? Um, productively ask for that to happen in my life and Mm -hmm. like have the universe like come back at me with some stuff about it Mm -hmm. of course that's a that's a great answer so thinking about the ways that you're doing that and the ways in which you've talked about coming out specifically Mm -hmm. um what have you dealt with other sorts of coming outs as well or i'm wondering what your kind of timeline of like different Mm -hmm. self-realizations yeah. Um, so I told you a little bit about coming out as mm-hmm. queer. Um, I went, also went to social justice camp when I was in high school, mm-hmm. which was such a great thing. This program called Anytown. Um, it was really transformative for me to start thinking about the world through a, le- a lens of like oppression and um, and suppression. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, having, that's the other structure that we're talking about. Um, Having, like, a system of thinking about the world that is unlike the one that we know now. Um, Anyway, back to to the question. So I came out when I was 13. I kind of had to go back into the closet because, so growing up, my parents actually physically fought a lot. And um, that was something that I, as a kid, kind of had to navigate of, like, okay, I'm literally the person in between these two adults who are, like, screaming at each other right now, trying to make it so that they don't touch each other and shit mm-hmm. doesn't happen. Um, which is ridiculous, because small children really... If, when adults want to fight, they will fight. Um, but, you know, it's scary, and um, I would do things like listen to the air vent that was, like, in my room and, like, listen for my parents in their room because it was, like, kind of directly below... Um, and if their voice, like, I couldn't really hear exactly what they were saying, but it would be, like, be about the cadence of their tone and that type of stuff of, like, to predict if something bad was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm mentioning that because when I came out, um, I saw that anger and violence turned on me, and it was really fucking scary. So uh, I, like... Didn't exp- I also, like, was so, like, oh, yeah, like, I found the answer. Isn't it great? Like, I untied the knot, Mom. Um, and the response that I got from her was so... Uh, not what I thought it was going to be. Um, like, it was violent, and it was also just, like... Uh, I mean, I, like, walked away from it without any scars or anything like that, but I definitely got really scared. So, um, that's when I started to just lie really low and lie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Same thing. Um, and went back into the closet, uh, kind of continued living my life, like, as a queer person on the inside. I watched a lot of bad B, B films on, on the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, back in the day, we had methods of getting these films um through downloading and stuff like that so i watched a ton of them just to like 
I don't know, you like read mm-hmm. you like that type of representation, which also for me was, wasn't total representation. Like it was like white women mm-hmm. and mostly femme presenting people or like butches who I also didn't really like identify right. with. It was just like kind of like a, it was more of like, Desire of like mm-hmm. aligning with a certain type of desire and feeling of like forbiddenness. Of course. And what were some movies that um, stuck with you from that side, in good or bad ways? Oh my god. Uh, whoa. A long time ago. <laughs> I watched like a ton of stuff on like the brick of a computer that we had. Um,. I definitely remember watching, but I'm a cheerleader, and I think it's because like people still talk about it so much that I'm it's like coming to mind right now. Um, it wasn't a favorite though. Um, I remember watching Debs, um, which was like a kind of superhero-y film. Uh, I watched this film called Itty Bitty Titty Committee, like which is about like punk like anarchist lesbians. Um, there was this really good series of Taiwanese shorts that I really liked. And I don't remember if it was in college or in high school that I watched it. Um, but it was like one of the most like, it was kind of like a hit or miss. Like it's like a collection of short stories. Um, but there was like one film in there that like really resonated with me because it was this like uh, Taiwanese couple that like really um, were happy together, but like, the femme presenting person had to go and get married and have a kid and stuff like that but it like was very Chinese the sense of duty of like having to give up a part of your life in order to fulfill like a certain uh, a certain image of what your life is supposed to be Um, and yeah I, I think it was called Candy Rain something like that that was something that sounds like really stuck with you or struck you when you were watching it yeah because it was um i mean i watched all these things to kind of be like i need my happy ending and i don't mean Mm -hmm. i don't mean like happy ending right (laughs) um because i wanted i needed i needed and wanted something to hope for and i think that's also something that i also still a little more critically now but like still want to express in my art and Mm -hmm. um that I look for, even if I am, like, criticizing everything else. Mm-hmm. Of course. Striking that balance is so necessary between mm-hmm. um, still still maintaining, um, maintaining some aspiration and being critical, of course. Um, yeah. Yeah. What other sorts of... So you talked about coming out and then sort of going back into the closet. Is there oh a point for so you... Um, so this is something that happened again and again and again. Oh, yeah. Ways. Yeah. And every time it was this just like, um, the sec. so to continue the high school stories, um, I started a queer straight alliance be- <laughs> with one of my friends after I like did social justice camp because it was like, this is necessary and this is the thing that we will do. Um, we, my friend and I, uh, yeah, and also that's something that you do when you're in the closet, obviously. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but, you know, it was like 10, more than 10 years ago, so the climate was a lot different, um, and p- 
people would like tear down our posters about one in four like LGBTQ kids get bullied, that type of stuff, mm-hmm. and like we'd see them in the recycling bins and, and those things. Thank you for recycling, because I was also president of the Environmental Club, but mm-hmm. no thank you for ripping up our posters. <laughs> and one day, and we did this really amazing um, Gay Find By Me campaign, where like we kind of had to underground have people buy t-shirts that all said gay fine by me and we asked everyone to wear the t-shirts on the same day Mm -hmm. um so it was like really a powerful gesture of like the quiet number of people who are actually like on your side and care about you and want to be allies to you Mm -hmm. or like are one of you um but uh i had one of those t-shirts on and my mom saw it uh like after school one day Mm -hmm. um and so we kind of got into it again, and then my parents decided that they were going to read through my entire Facebook. So they made me log in and told me to go to bed, and they woke me up at 4 a.m. the same day, the next, you know, mm-hmm. like whenever, whatever yeah. the night was. Um, and they were just furious at me. I was, I was talking to a friend of mine about this person who I had a crush on. Um, like over Facebook message and it was like very incriminating obviously and it was the first time that my dad had really like directly talked to me about it but he was like so angry my parents like said that they were they were both very angry which is like I think I think that people say a lot of like oh like when people are angry they just say things that are like obviously not okay to say when like you're not angry but they were angry and I just think that's complete bullshit. So, like, my parents said that they were, like, happy that um, queers were murdered during the Holocaust. Um, they said that, like, that was, like, one of the big things that mm-hmm. um, I re- that really stuck with me. And at this point, I don't remember if my, like, dad actually made a death threat or if I just imagined it because of all the other stuff that was being said and what was being implied, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, then I went to bed again. (laughs) Completely normal and not traumatized at all. Um, Of course. Yeah, so you can imagine. I stopped going to um, the... This was, I think, my senior year. So I stopped going to um, my, like, Queer Street Alliance, Spectrum. Mm -hmm. And it's still alive today. (laughs) Um... And my parents started sending me to a therapist who was a radical democracy activist in Taiwan at one point, but also a Christian healer. Um, But she and I really got along and told me that I was great and that, um, you know, just helped me along with kind of what I needed to talk about if I did need to talk about stuff. Okay. Um, but that was my first experience of therapy. It was, mm-hmm. like, very involuntary. But it turned out to be nice, but it yeah. could have easily gone the other way. Mm-hmm. Um, so the therapist himself wasn't um, sort of coercive towards your sexuality? No, or not at all. Uh, she was just like, sounds like you're queer. And I was like, mm-hmm. yep. <laughs> so that was that was a good experience. And um, I, I do want to say that, like, my high school experience wasn't all, like, awful. I mm-hmm. definitely I had a guidance counselor who was really supportive of me and like really recognized like the stuff that I was going to at one point I talked to her about like becoming an emancipated minor if I needed to run away from home 
Um, I had a friend who let me keep stuff in his car, like in his trunk, in case I needed to leave home. Mm -hmm. Um, Thank goodness for most suburban kids having cars or like learning how to drive, which is a nice thing. Um, I had a violin teacher who was like really supportive and watchful of me is which is like a weird I think a weird thing to say in like the having no privacy type of way but like watching with care type of way like I was doing some self-harm stuff it was like for attention but also like things that I I I like wasn't able to express a lot of pain that I was carrying around Mm -hmm. um so she paid attention to me and like wanted me to a like be a good violin te- or be a good violinist, but like also just like to be okay. And she does, she does and did or she did and probably still does a lot of that labor for the teenagers and kids who like come her way as a teacher. So, yeah, really love her. Anyway, incredible. And yeah. all this was in uh, Southern Illinois, still, right? Yeah, yeah. So, and all these people were white. So. Mm-hmm. Can't hate them all. <laughs> Damn it. Right? Um, besides the um, support networks that you had and the self-harm potentially, did you have any other coping strategies or anyone else that you felt like you could talk to during when all of this was going on? Not really. Like, mm-hmm. I called my, like, co-president of the... Well, the other thing was, like, with my like the domestic situation too with my parents fighting it would it would be like less frequent but then like eh, you know there's a knife there's boiling water uh, mm-hmm. that stuff um so i like at one point called one of my friends but it was really just like wow there's like if it, it genuinely felt like no one else in my life was going through the same thing mm-hmm. um i think it's that's probably not true but like how to talk about it and how to find that group of people who's experiencing the same thing and like being able to do so in confidence is like really tough mm-hmm. so I and as a kid I just had no idea what the resources were oh I was on a messaging board one of those good old fashioned message boards um, and this one closed down but it was one for teens uh, queer something mm-hmm. <laughs> really specific right right, right. Um, queer teens, queers, uh, okay, I remember the rhythm. Da, 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 da. <laughs> Maybe you were on it too, who knows? Possibly. So, something that's... Mm-hmm. In... Queer already, queer, yeah. queer, uh, mm-hmm. you know? But it was really important for me to be on a forum like that. I basically mm-hmm. just build my guts on, like, what should I do if I'm in this situation and it was mostly just people being like, hey, I'm, like, so sorry that you're going through this. Um, and it was an affirmation that the thing that I was experiencing was not normal and, mm-hmm. like, not okay. Right. And I needed to hear that from other people. But also, the race, the race thing plays a huge part in this because mm-hmm. it's like, of course there's more violence in households where there's a, like, man of color, like, at the head, like, that type of thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Or, like, the which I also called the police a couple of times and it was like always my dad who would like get taken away and stuff and you know that was what the story was but also that's what the story stereotypically is and those types of ways of like I 
kind of quickly realized that the system was not going to help us. And mm -hmm. also that our, the community that we had in the Chinese American community was not going to help us. Like a lot of it would be like, we would ask a friend, like we would ask a family friend to come over and they would be like, you're fine. And like, stop, stop being angry. And that's about it. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, so there's like a real, and my parents were just going through a lot. Like I'm not angry at them for not getting the type of like emotional care that they've needed like in their entire lives right. and right. Um, immigrating to any country before Skype and um, any of the communication tools that we have meant mm -hmm. that like, yeah, like my parents didn't see their family or their friends for five years after mm -hmm. immigrating which is a really long time to be isolated like New York is isolating enough and I know mm -hmm. people so um, yeah when we talk about intergenerational trauma like that's what I'm carrying of like I, I carry the patterns of abuse that my parents experienced in whatever way that I experienced them mm -hmm. um, And but I get to maybe like work on that a little bit in my lifetime and try to stop the cycle a little bit. Right. Um, and did your parents spend a lot of time uh, living apart from each other? Or is that just when you first moved to Southern Illinois when your mom was still in Canada? Uh, they didn't spend that much time apart. Mm -hmm. um, and that was, that was in California. So oh, okay. we were like okay. together by that point. So mm -hmm. my parents like have not been apart actually at all they almost got divorced once but like mm -hmm. I, it's just it's really complicated like what is community right mm -hmm. like that's kind of the main question of like what does it mean to welcome immigrants to mm -hmm. the United States like or like to North America I should say like my family joined a church when we moved to Canada mm -hmm. my parents Grew up in Maoist China, so I can tell you a little bit about the religion there. Atheism. But we made a lot of really caring friends through the church. Mm -hmm. And we got the types of help that we really needed um, mm -hmm. as immigrants. And like, what, how, where else does that type of community exist? And are there ways that we can be building those? Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, that's something I think about a lot of, like, what is... What is another thing that I could do as a human that, like, mm -hmm. would, would make the passage for younger me a little bit easier right. um, and people like my parents a little bit easier? Mm -hmm. Apart from the impact that the community had, did uh, religion or religious structures play a large role in you or your parents' life in the U.S.? Um, not really. My parents started taking me out of Sunday school when they figured out that I was starting to believe it. Okay. Yeah. I talked to my parents a little bit about religion. I think my mom um, believes in, like, a higher power of some sort, but, like, isn't really, like, a doctrine type of person. Mm -hmm. um, again, I think that, like, my dad doesn't believe any of it at all. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that there's something really important there of, like, structure and comfort and hope resting mm -hmm. somewhere and religion can be a place where that exists for people and not just comfort or hope but also like really answering a um desire need for us for deeper spiritual questioning and connection mm -hmm. with something in the world and having that in a community of people who are also interested in that can be really powerful and good mm -hmm.
so what I'm hearing is that it sounds that um, the church for your folks and for you as a little, to a little bit was sort of both um, building a place of hope and sort of intentionally seeking out community. Would that be yeah. accurate to say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, pause because I have to pee. Yeah. So good. So um, when we paused, we were sort of uh, talking about the role of religion and the role of structure as well. Mm-hmm. Were there any other structures that were especially useful or especially prominent in my life as a smaller child especially Mm -hmm. um (laughs) i would so two big uh two big systems were the library system and the school system actually Mm -hmm. so and i think about this a lot when i think about why I care about public services mm-hmm. um, because in a way my family had failed to provide the type of help that I needed or the support that I needed mm-hmm. um, not because I was like materially unwell or like in in want of like basic basic stuff like food or water or anything like that like my parents always did an incredible job of like taking care of us as a family um but in terms of my mental and emotional needs like library was like a huge place for me to just like be somewhere other than the place that i was in because i spent a lot of time alone or not necessarily like wanting to be in conversation with like grown adults Mm -hmm. um but i didn't grow up in a family where like my parents would ask me how i felt about things um so i did a lot of like as a kid, like imagining and stuff. Um, but I passed away and I, I also passed a lot of time reading and like spending time in books because, um, because of moving around, you like don't end up having like super regular friends who you know forever. Um, so I had like a bunch of friends in Canada and then I moved again and then I mm-hmm. made some friends in California and then I moved again and then we lived in the suburbs. So like what is friendship? <laughs> Um, So I had some, like, neighborhood friends. Proximity has always been a very interesting and important um, way to be around people. But, yeah, the library was, like, just this happy place for me um, where I got all the Babysitter's Club books I wanted. Mm -hmm. And I read a lot of, like, fantasy novels. um, A lot of... I'm trying to remember them. Like, they all, like, Night in the Attic or something like that. I never read the uh, the Redwood series. No, what was it called? Yeah, with the talking mice, right? The talking mice, yeah. I think that was Redwood. Redwood? For mm-hmm. real? Mm-hmm. Okay. If we're wrong, we're going to have to add a note to the interview of saying uh-huh. strong, strong <laughs> sorry. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Brian Jocks. Jocks. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I read Harry Potter, loved Harry Potter, that type of thing. Um yeah, Re- and reading was also a way for me to like, a, like have a have meaning in a way. Like as a kid, I like didn't talk to a bunch of other kids. I was really quiet, and we had this accelerated reader program in at my like elementary school. Mm-hmm. Um, and every year, I was the person who like got the most accelerated reading points because I was reading everything. Mm-hmm. So you like got prizes, but it was always like but I'm going to get the pizza party with our assistant principal. Like, that's mm-hmm. what's going to happen. 
and we got little medals and it was yeah it was a way for me to achieve something that was like out of the ordinary um of course yeah god i haven't thought about accelerated reader in so long so long mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a throwback for sure hashtag throwback mm-hmm. what um so it sounds like you gravitated a lot towards sort of books about fantasy books about discovery mm-hmm. um what about those themes or those genres were especially compelling to you? I think, like, kind of guiltily, like, there's a certain amount of, like, my my own life was, like, not enough to sustain my interest in life, mm-hmm. honestly. Like, I was just, like, I was bored in school. Like, I got really good grades. Um, I learned that I couldn't be lazy in school, so mm-hmm. that was an... I got, like, a D or something on a quiz once, and it was terrible, um and uh I lost my train of thought because I had to put a coaster <laughs> underneath the water. Um what was I thinking? Do, 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 do. You were talking about school and um, your interest in the books that you read specifically and how you had right. that yeah. just sort of it sounds like do what was expected of you mm-hmm. at school as opposed to what you were interested in. Yeah, I mean, it was just, like, there was just a a wall that I hit of, like, I was basically, like, mostly bored all the time, Mm -hmm. and I was, like, in the challenge program and stuff like that, and that was, like, mildly interesting, and I became friends with the people who were in the challenge program, or the other kids who were in the challenge program, but, um, it, basically, I would fall into this trap of, like, whenever there was a creative assignment, I could, like, go, like crazy with it so mm-hmm. i would spend like 10 hours drawing or something like that because i had the time as a kid and like i would just spend a, like or spend a lot of time thinking deeply about my young author book and like mm-hmm. what that was going to be about and being overwhelmed by how many possibilities of like fantasy book i can write um and then also like for fantasy books in particular like and i think this is something that worked in my favor um was that like there are a lot of like young misunderstood boys who like realize their power and mm-hmm. like go on adventures and stuff and i was like yeah you like really relate to this mm-hmm. like i'm not really thinking about why i relate to this but i do and i love the idea of like having a sword and mm-hmm. <laughs> doing whatever i want and like being confused like going on those adventures was always something that i loved um But, like, now I think about it and it's, like, oh, there's, like, not a ton of representation Mm -hmm. otherwise. So it worked in my favor, but, like, there are problems with it, obviously. Of course. Did you... Did those books affect your behavior at all? I'm thinking about... I also read a lot of those fancy books as a kid. Mm -hmm. Wheel of Time. Mm -hmm. Oh, I never read the Wheel of Time books, though. A Wrinkle in Time, on the other hand. A Wrinkle in Time. I was obsessed with. Though, um, I sort of started after a while trying to emulate these, like, mm. fantastical behaviors often. Like what? To my detriment. Just, like, trying to get into trouble. Um, oh. Or trying to go on adventures. Um, mm. Is that something that you did at all? Or are there levels in which you engaged with the books besides just reading them? Um... Not really. Like, I'm... I think there was, like, a deep emotional and mental stimulative, like, need that I needed Mm -hmm. that was getting fulfilled by reading them. But I didn't really, like... 
I didn't really strive to fulfill those needs outside. Um, although maybe I'm lying because I started watching anime in middle school. Mm-hmm. Classic. And I love Dragon Ball Z. That was a huge thing um, for me in elementary school. Um, but it was it was all kind of like I could watch these things and participate them internally mm-hmm. or with them internally, but like not actually emulate them or be them, um, even mm-hmm. if I wanted to. Right. Like there, it wasn't really in the realm of possibility for me. It was just something that I happened to enjoy. Mm-hmm. But I started drawing a lot of like fan art and and that type of stuff. And I now going through like my old drawings, it's like, oh, right. I like, I really gravitate towards drawing all these like young men (laughs) (laughs) who like I don't, I don't relate to or anything. They just, they're just all of a certain type and they all have similar personality Mm -hmm. things that I like really relate to. But you know. Of course. Did you have a DeviantArt account or? Yes, mm-hmm. and Media Miner. Oh wow! It was like pretty deep. Mm-hmm. I ha- I also wrote some fan fiction for Inuyasha, um, mm. which is one of my, my old faves. Of course. <laughs> so it sounds like you pretty you had a pretty vibrant um, internet community or a set of internet communities that you were part of. Is that correct to say? Um. Yeah, I would say so. Like, I was I was kind of, like, it was dial-up times, so mm-hmm. I would, like, join all these forums with, like, fanfiction writers of, like, Inuyasha and stuff, and mm-hmm. um, I was very articulate for a teenager, that type of thing, and I always kind of basked in this, like, you sound so much more mature than your age, mm-hmm. um, and that was something that I really appreciated and liked because it was like oh something that other people were reflecting about me that I wasn't necessarily getting from my other life Mm -hmm. or like my you know in-person life IRL life of course meet space life as um, meet space JG Ballard says yes unfortunately (laughs) (laughs) yeah I just think of (laughs) for sure Um, (laughs) did you based on what you said it sounds like you were raised as an only child uh Mm -hmm. did you have any other family members besides your cousins you saw occasionally that you were close with growing up so it's funny that you say that i actually do have two siblings but they're like really much younger than me so um they were born like so a lot of my like time i had already kind of like been in like i'm an only child mode Mm -hmm. until i was nine and then my the twins were born love them to death but I also was just like who are these people (laughs) maybe they'll help me get more toys it was really the like the thing that I thought Mm -hmm. um but yeah I have a brother and a sister um I love them both very much we are still close which is great um and uh yeah I I think I kind of kept existing with them there, but, like, not really with them as siblings, I think, in the traditional sense, because you, Mm -hmm. like, I hear from other people about, like, the, you fight with them, and, like, there's stuff that happens with them, and I didn't really have that experience with them because they were so much younger. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like you've gotten closer with them as they've gotten older, or...? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that we have like a certain way of talking to each other that like there's sibling-esque things going on but I'm also like way older and Mm -hmm. like 
there there's like stuff that they need that I know now to give mm-hmm. to them like um it's like nice to, it's it's nice and also healing for me to be able to like work as an older figure in the family for mm-hmm. kids who are not necessarily like getting all the stuff that they need right now yeah. so um yeah I had to like figure out a lot of th- things for myself that my siblings hopefully don't have to mm-hmm. so yeah of course when you were talking earlier about finding ways to make things better for a younger you mm-hmm. are those has that affected how you've interacted with your siblings as well yeah totally um having more conversations and explicit conversations about stuff that's going on in, at home how they're feeling what's going on with them um i was still home for like i think the residual like stuff that was happening um Mm -hmm. in our house um so you know we experienced it together and starting those conversations and having those conversations was something that i definitely would have wanted and i think having an older sibling who like understood some more stuff and who had experienced some more stuff to kind of like help navigate was something that i would have loved to have Mm -hmm. when did um and you said you moved to Chicago after a while, or did I miss you that? Did you say you didn't live in Chicago? Oh, just I just said not Chicago. Not Cause, Chicago. Because whenever I say Illinois, people are like, oh, Chicago? And I'm like, no. Not Chicago. No. Okay. Where did you go for um, college? What I, was that process like? I went to Columbia. Okay. So, um, yeah, that was probably one of the most, like, Getting to campus and being there for the first time was one of the most euphoric experiences that I ever had, just because mm-hmm. I was alone for the first time in however many years. Mm-hmm. And that was an extremely important thing for me to be able to express myself and come come out of my like queer closet shell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like a weird crab. <laughs> <laughs> Except crabs don't come out of their shells, they just mm-hmm. live, in, live in there forever. It's just right. part of their bodies anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was really important for me, even though I was still kind of, like, under surveillance. Like, I, it's like mm-hmm. you literally, I had to, like, check back in, like, mm-hmm. see my parents in person and that type of thing. Um, so, even though I was a lot more out in college, I didn't really date. Um, and I still, like, I didn't do a lot of exploring of, like, my sexuality. Like, I didn't do a lot of exploring of my sexuality or my gender. Because um, mm-hmm. I thought I had figured it out, <laughs> A. And then B, I had like this like very intense like closet thing going on of like even though I can be out here going to all the same parties as all my other friends, there's still like this like really intense anxiety I think mm-hmm. like with my family of like living the double life. So it was important for me to come out to come out to them again mm-hmm. one more time. <laughs> of course, of course. You mentioned uh, when you were younger being really engaged in creative projects is Mm -hmm. was that a way for you of being out in some ways do you have any early or college age creative projects for you on some level we're dealing with these issues of gender sexuality identity Mm -hmm. um i was doing a lot of like i actually did a lot of zanga writing back in the day um and but it was like i was like i read e cummings for the first time and Mm -hmm. was writing all these like abstract-ish poems that like played with um that played with like language and stuff like that 
And then I started getting like really deviant art about it. Um, mm-hmm. I like had a crush on this person and like we were both on Zanga, so I'd write these like very, you know, like subtweety mm-hmm. posts about this other person and the music that we like to listen together mm-hmm. or listen to together and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, there were some creative projects. Um, the stuff that I was writing felt like poetry to me, but now I'm like, ugh, get it away mm-hmm. from me. <laughs> um, but yeah, I didn't really start seriously writing and considering myself a writer until college, actually. I had, again, a white woman, um, but a professor of literature my freshman year who basically let me write two short stories instead of two like essays and mm-hmm. just continuously encouraged me to like do creative work. So that's how I ended up applying for and enrolling in an intermediate poetry workshop with Emily Fragos, my mm-hmm. fall of my sophomore year. Yeah. Gotcha. And that was um, that was the real turning point in thinking about writing as something that you did as opposed to something that you could continue doing, perhaps? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That was a big deal. Um, I had a lot... I had a, a lot of struggles thinking about art as a viable way to do anything. It was a Mm -hmm. lot of, like, I was an econ major and, like, (laughs) wanted to start a social entrepreneurship and, like, had, was, like, kind of into tech at the time. I was, like, wasn't also, I was, like, also, like, maybe I want to be in the music industry. And so I was also interning at, like, Warner Music Mm -hmm. um, and doing, and I ended up, like, meeting this startup person at a like concert actually Mm -hmm. and i was just like i was so tapped into startup stuff on twitter Mm -hmm. etc um that i like knew who the person was and i just you know networked my way into an internship Mm -hmm. um and yeah so that there was that stuff going on and the writing was just like I don't know if I can like keep writing and think of myself as a writer and it took me actually a long time to think of myself as a writer even though I was like actively writing and taking workshops. Mm-hmm. What was that process like? Was that um, to draw a parallel? How was the how did you come out as a writer? More coming out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I did a lot of writing <laughs> about it. <laughs> um, I wrote about like what is art? What's the point of art? Like, I think I was really at the time just trying to craft like an ethics around the things that I was doing, which I Mm -hmm. think like is still something that I'm figuring out and trying to do. Just, I just write more. Mm -hmm. Um, Instead of writing about that all the time, I write about that. And also the other Mm -hmm. things I'm trying to experiment with. Um, But some of those things just to interject or interrupt for a second. What are some of those things that you're currently trying to experiment with? Um, so I wrote this book that I finished like I wrote like over the past year um and it's like a very I'm starting to be in this I like understand that like the when you write a book or when you do a project there the it's not just the finished piece that you have but Mm -hmm. it exists in this whole process of how it comes together and I think when I'm discovering um, with with this particular book, I had a process for it that I had just never done before. I used to write whenever I felt like it, when I had an idea or like something sparked for me. Um, and I would write these like very lyrical poems that were 
of like a certain not like rhyme scheme necessarily but like had like a musicality of language and I started writing these poems that were memoir-esque that I apparently I really needed to write um that were that are all like just prose poems and they're like about my life and this like emotional kind of like narrative that I really needed to move through um but right now I'm like kind of like stuck in this idea of process being part of like process of in writing being part of the politics of how the thing gets made mm-hmm. um so me writing about my life um through this like other process that I figured out was um like allowing myself to do it I think was the the thing that like really has stuck with me mm-hmm. um I'm not really articulating it super well uh but what be- was what was that process like you said you mm-hmm. wrote whenever you felt like it what was what was the, n- the, the, the other one mm-hmm. yeah um well it was kind of a, it was more discipline focused and the discipline mm-hmm. was literally to like it's okay to say anything that you want to say mm-hmm. which i think is hard for someone like me who grew up kind of like in a space where you only could say this type of thing in this way mm-hmm. and Um actually I think that this process was part of the reason why I was able to like move into masculinity a lot more comfortably because mm-hmm. if when there was one space in my life where I could tell myself like every day you will write a paragraph about anything and it will lead to something that you like. Um that's kind of how I wrote this thing and I realized that I was thinking about a lot of the same things and it's like oh right every day or every week or even like whenever I feel like it I can start experimenting with what it means to be masculine in a way that feels most like me like i got my hair cut and liked my reflection for the first time which is a completely bizarre feeling if you've never had that before mm-hmm. of like oh this is like a cute version of me cool like i can keep doing this um when i got my like i bought a binder for the first time and tried on a binder for the first time it was just like i'm just going to see what it feels like i don't know if it's something i need or want and allowing myself that space that breathing room is i think actually like political um mm-hmm. especially especially if, like the world doesn't feel like your your oyster right so all these developments were sort of these personal developments in your life were going alongside the writing process yeah as well it sounds like yeah and right now i'm in a space where um i am figuring out how to what like presence means for me so like how can i be with myself mm-hmm. in a way that like is me really saying yes to the stuff that i want to say yes to no to the stuff that i want to say no to and how can i create a writing process that's a little more intentional for mm-hmm. for me so um i'm like doing this thing where i like log kind of every day i'm exercising or i'm logging like okay i'm going to write for 10 minutes every day like in this particular spot or in this particular place. Are you familiar with like um CA Conrad and I was just about to bring up semantics actually. It sounds right. very similar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it's not it's definitely inspired like this process that I'm doing is like it's like my life, mm-hmm. but it's inspired by this idea of ritual and mm-hmm. um how ritual can create or bring out parts of like your unconscious or your consciousness mm-hmm. like that 
you want to form or sculpt in a particular way that mm. other people can also access and you can access. Right. To some extent, have you um, been accessing art going back to the fan fiction and the deviant mm -hmm. art as well? Um, in like the largest uh, definition of the word, um, have you viewed those as ritual or have those always served sort of ritualistic purposes for you? Or is it only recently that they've started to do that? Um, well, that's, that work was really like, it was, it was kind of interesting because it's kind of obsession focused. Like mm -hmm. I was like really into like this particular show or something. I like wanted mm -hmm. more of it. And it like, I think desire for me was like a rare feeling. So once I found something, I like glomped onto it. Yeah. Um, and I think that's now that's kind of transferring into like my, my art process of like, how do I generate desire in my, a little more closely to myself and to my own life, um, rather than mm -hmm. this fandom that I'm attached to or whatever. Right. No, that makes sense. Did you ever consider yourself, um, a visual artist or was that, or do you still currently, how much does the art that you made that wasn't poems or wasn't mm -hmm. writing? Or wasn't um, software engineering, if you consider that art as well. Mm -hmm. um, how much is that important to your life for your conception of yourself? Um, visual art, I actually did like AP art when I was in mm -hmm. high school. So I definitely spent a lot of time drawing and being in mm -hmm. that flow zone when you like right. to draw a thing and it's like that's all the, that's the only thing that you're doing. Um, and I... I haven't like kept up with visual art as much, mm -hmm. but it's something that I very much still like to do when I'm doing it. And I think it's very much attached to this idea of like presence and like being in with a thing when it's happening. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm like, actually uh, I did a photography class this like past semester. Mm -hmm. um, it was a black and white like analog class and I've been taking photos since high school, mm -hmm. um, but it was, this time it was a lot more intentional and now I know how to develop film. Um, and it was, a, for me, the goal was like, I want to get out of my house a lot more and to experience the world like slowly. And mm -hmm. photography really did that for me. And I think that visual art has a unique way of um, asking you to let go of certain logical structures of thinking. And it definitely allows me to slow down and look and consider where mm -hmm. I actually am in the world and I think helps me be in my body in the mm -hmm. same way that music and sound can. Of course. And um, poetry can as well, I think. Mm -hmm. I, I'm sure I'm misquoting, so don't hold me to this. I think Nicole Seeley was recently talking in an interview about how poems can sort of preserve moments as opposed to, mm -hmm. say, a fiction piece, which sort of is propelled forward. Is that something that you've noticed or thought about in your own practice? It sounds like, especially recently, you've been thinking about more personal types of writing. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's definitely, that's definitely a big factor of, mm -hmm. like, my most recent project. Um, I don't know if I would say that it's like a snapshot, mm -hmm. per se, because there is, like, I think with artists who I really admire or like, there's usually a thematic progression or resonance mm -hmm. between the things that they're working on that when you read those 
pro like the, that project as a whole, like it adds even more layer and dimension to the the particular spot that was, um, in Nicole's words, like preserved. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know if it's preserved. It feels more like translation. Mm -hmm. Like translation seems a lot more interesting to me because like a poem also or any type of art involves the other person also like the reader or the viewer or the listener participating in a certain way that like they'll experience it in a way that is not like what you experienced yeah um i'm really interested in that concept of translation specifically mm -hmm. um are there besides the act of writing as translation are there any moments um in your life or your history both now and mm -hmm. in the past where you felt like you've had to translate one thing to another what are some notable examples of that well literal examples include government documents that mm -hmm. my parents needed help on or that you know like an essay that a relative needs help on in english mm -hmm. um but yeah actually that's a huge interest of mine that i would love to explore later <laughs> projects um but my dad actually writes poetry too okay. um but he writes chinese poetry and uh i tried translating his work um at a certain point he sent me a bunch of poems and did not succeed his okay. um he i translated one of his poems and he responded to me in an email saying that it sounded like it was translated by google translate so hmm. stop translating his poems after that because I, my feelings were hurt but also because like it like that was a meaningful project for me that i that i hoped would like um bring us together a little more um mm -hmm. we were also like that was kind of like around the period when i was estranged from my parents when mm -hmm. i wasn't speaking to them so uh like i was kind of hoping that that would be like a a, an, a bridge for us basically of like maybe there's some way that we can talk to each other that doesn't have to be about things that I'm doing that are, like, fucking up the family. Um, right. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, my entire life, I've had to translate for my parents and for myself between these, like, two worlds that seem like they're not supposed to be connected in a way. Like, and I'm not just speaking, like, on a nationality type of way, but, like, um, I think my parents blame, like, uh, the Western influence, like, as the source of my queerness or um, my, like, gender presentation. Mm -hmm. um, I'm also not out to them as trans because I think that would be beyond anything of their wildest imagination. So it's, like, not really um, something that I'm, like, ready to talk to them about. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if I ever will be. And mm -hmm. I'm honestly kind of okay with it. Like, mm -hmm. this is kind of an aside, but I think coming out is is hard to do but it's also like circumstantial and like mm -hmm. contextual and who gets to come out right. um of course of course yeah i think a lot about i thought i thought a lot about that also in terms of like who will be in these like trans oral histories and why are mm -hmm. we going to be hearing from those people versus other people and like of course. um and the same thing obviously like translates in mm -hmm literary arts and wherever representation can be found very much so yeah um, i agree with that completely what so it sort of sounds that 
um, your gender or your transness is something that you sort of translate situationally mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I accept a certain amount of misgendering mm-hmm. um, for... Like, in, in whatever situation, like, whatever the situation needs or calls for, like, mm-hmm. sometimes it's a safety thing. Um, of course. A lot of times it's a safety thing. Um, but other times it's, like, I'm very comfortable, like, correcting someone who I've just met. Like, hey, just FYI. Mm-hmm. Now you know, amazing. But, yeah, like, it's, I don't know who said this. Probably everyone. But you're, like, you're mm-hmm. always coming out. Like. Right, right, right. Yeah. Whoever you're talking to. Of course. Um... What were your earliest memories of coming out into a sort of transness like? Is that something that you started at Columbia, or did you uh, did that happen a little bit later? Um, In however way you wanted to define coming out into transness. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that one of the nice things about being a woman is that there. Are are there is like a whole spectrum of gender that one can comfortably live in and still identify as a woman so i would enjoy like i would put on ties and like button downs and enjoy like kind of the sartorial aspect mm-hmm. of masculinity well upper middle class masculinity right. <laughs> and it's um, an important corrective to Jack Hopper Sam. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, who I'm actually reading right now. Huh. Female masculinity, mm-hmm. la la la. Um, but the so that was like for me enough for a while of like, whoa! I finally get to wear ties and like cute shoes, like mm-hmm. amazing. Um, and so I had kind of like an intellectual butch or like dandy-esque thing going on for a while. And, um, I just, I have a very like strong memory of like being in this apartment. I was subletting, um, in the East village, my junior summer or something. And I looked at myself in the mirror and I was wearing my like usual outfit of like button down with shorts and like maybe a tie. And I just didn't like how my body fit in the clothes. And, that was like a probably a moment of dysphoria that I was just like, oh shit, like I don't look good in these clothes, so I shouldn't wear them. Mm-hmm. So I actually like shifted out of that masculine mode for a while because mm-hmm. I was just convinced that my body didn't look good in it and that there's no point in wearing something that I like I'm not attracted in. Mm-hmm. But I never like questioned what made me feel that way about my body. Yeah. So um I would say, like, coming out for, like, in transness has really been, like, really started with a haircut. Hair is so fucking important. Like, I was talking to someone at the diner today about um, the person I was talking to in the diner who I just met. Mm-hmm. And she got, like, a haircut, like, a, an undercut with, like, some words on the side and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then automatically people, like saw externally who she was supposed to be and she had to like live up to it and be that person and I think that like that's kind of a thing that also happened with me like I got an undercut Mm -hmm. um for one summer that was like very much not visible but that like made me feel so much more visible and Mm -hmm. I like came you know you come forward out of your shell a little more if you're a turtle Mm -hmm. um which I was at the time um 
and I got this this particular haircut like starting in well I got a, sh a version version of a short haircut in around 2014 that was like whoa like I can have short hair cool um, and that was a huge step for me and I think it's totally okay to take what is like incrementally like my hair has gotten shorter and shorter and shorter like in the past I don't know, eight years that I've been in New York and it's been really just like inching towards more of the things that I want and allowing myself to have those things and to let pleasure be something that I choose for myself rather than something that comes to me. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so hair was the first thing and then um, I dated someone who uh, was really, really wanted to actively engage with me on topics of race and gender and it was really surprising for me. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, it was like really important relationship and is an important relationship in my life. So right. yeah. It sounds like it. And that, um, that statement about comfort and uh, joy and pleasure is a really resonant one as okay. well. Related to that, uh, it seems that a lot of the times in which you've talked about um, moving backwards or um, closeting yourself. Mm -hmm. um, I used finger Close quotes the doors. because <laughs> I realized the recorder can't pick that up. Um, <laughs> or closing the doors or going back into the shell, whatever metaphor mm -hmm. you want to do, has been uh, rooted in some experience of displeasure, whether it be from hmm. your family or community or whether it be internally through issues such as dysphoria. Have there been any moments in which you've moved back into the shell that have been more tactical or less rooted in negative emotions specifically. I'm wondering if this hmm. is more of a, um, if there are more gradients to this hmm. right. in your experience. I mean, yeah, definitely. Like, it's not so much, and I guess as explicit of a going back in the closet or coming out, but mm -hmm. it's more of just experimentation. Like, where right. do I want to be? Like, I'm going to be over here for a second. I'm going to wear this skirt. Like, mm -hmm. does this feel good? I don't know. I'm just fucking trying it. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's really like, um, so like when I at a certain point was like, maybe I'm attracted to like cis men. Like maybe I'm mm -hmm. actually like, I've met this person who I was like, I'm like, I like you and I don't know what this feeling is and I can't tell if I like you as a friend because I like very rarely ever felt like a true true connections with cis men mm -hmm. so it's just like it's a weird experience for me I can't tell if I like you but there was a moment when I was like oh maybe I'm like not as queer as I thought I was or like gay as I thought I was in particular mm -hmm. um so yeah I like started thinking about that a little more mm, no but um same thing with gender like um, I just remember like texting my friends like I'm going through a femme phase right now <laughs> like and so where I would like buy a lot of like white lace and stuff like that mm -hmm. um, and but I would never wear it because it was just like oh right like I love I love femme things like I love um, femme people <laughs> and I like I bought this like really nice like um, jewelry that is just like you wear over your shoulders it's like a chain etc um, but I never wear it because obviously it's not my gender. It's just like something that like literally I'm attracted to this. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. hello. Right. Um, so it took me a lot of, um, it took me a lot of time to like parse out like 
um, what parts of masculinity do I absolutely hate and what actually do I really like or enjoy about it like that like what's actually a part of me versus mm -hmm. just what am I attracted to or like of course. whatever yeah of course how much of a role did you've talked about the haircut mm -hmm. um, and gradually adjusting the haircut playing the role and sort of like discovering or uncovering a gender mm -hmm. how much did other externals or accessories or clothing play a role in that is that mm -hmm. sign that you felt you could have more freedom to experiment with recently is that something that you got freedom from experimenting with hmm. yeah. through experimenting with um i think now i have i think a more like class based to like understanding mm -hmm. of like my sartorial choices like play a larger role in like what signals I'm giving out and, mm -hmm. and what type of values I have. So I went through like a very strong jean jacket phase, mm. the Canadian tuxedo phase, mm -hmm. um, which is like still a thing. Uh -huh. um, but it's like, I don't know, like instead of there being just like one mode that I'm in all the time, I, I like really got into jean jackets and now I have like two. Mm -hmm. um, not that I... I didn't buy a ton more, but I would just wear one, like, a lot. Um, and it's just kind of like, you're really into this thing, and then you're, like, not so into it anymore, but then mm -hmm. it becomes an option for you of, like, you know how to articulate yourself through that one thing. So, mm -hmm. jean jacket phase. Um, I have, like, shorts that, like, I used to really like, but that are, were shorter, and now I'm noticing that, like, I like slightly longer shorts, and that has to do with, like, me feeling more com like me feeling and wanting a different type of like masculine presentation that mm -hmm. again like I get to pick um so yeah there's been like I think honestly getting a binder has like totally changed the way that I feel about t-shirts mm -hmm. um and it it has given me a lot more um flexibility about like what type of masculinity that I exude um, versus like having to figure out how to like hide my chest or I wasn't really hiding my chest, but it was just like this thing that was like around that I was like, Hmm, I like, like you, I like me, mm -hmm. but I don't know if this is the silhouette that I want. Right. So, yeah. So sort of viewing parts of your body as, or the image projected by your body as kind of distinct and separate from your body itself. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't like. I I think it's just because like breasts are like such a feminine, mm -hmm. like sexual object of desire, and but also mm -hmm. like um, a way that people can gender me basically immediately. Right. Um, yeah, like it's not it's not appropriate. For example, it's for people like to stare at like below the the below the waist or whatever mm -hmm. um but you know you can like when you make eye contact with someone in your peripheral vision you can be like is there anything there mm -hmm. um but you know it's been it's but also my voice is like a thing that people immediately gender me with so um even no matter how masculinely i decide to present myself like of cats course. out of the bag like <laughs> but I also don't feel like I'm, like, I feel really, like, eh about investing in passing to cis people. Like, I really don't care about that. Um, but 
I care about it insofar as the type of violence that could happen to me because I don't pass. Mm-hmm. So, like, yeah, I guess I don't have a personal investment in passing outside of safety. Of course. Of course. How much has community played a role in that? Have you sort of... Um, I'm thinking especially before you got to New York, um, were you able to find any communities outside of the online ones where folks were thinking about gender in these more kind of holistic terms? Was that something that happened at, say, the Gay-Straight Alliance in any sort of way? I'm I'm really trying to remember if we had trans members. I had, like, um, at least one friend who came out to me as trans. Mm -hmm. But at that time, like, she was really just, like, I have this thing called, like, gender dysphoria. And, Mm -hmm. like, I think I'm a woman and, like, all these things. But she was, like, really going through a rough time. And Mm -hmm. I, at the time, was just, like, I'm going to be an ally to you as much as possible. But she was also not really... I wasn't thinking about it for myself, so I wasn't super talking about it with her in a, like what exactly does that feel like? Can you be more specific? Because I got to check in with myself. I also, like, again, with, like, intergenerational trauma, like, Mm -hmm. if no one in your intimate life is asking you how you feel about things every day, that's not something that you do for yourself. So I, like, didn't really work on having, like, access to my emotional life, and therefore there are a lot of things with joy and pleasure and stuff that I, like, just didn't feel. Mm -hmm. So... Um, the, sh- the short version is like basically no um, at least on, in terms of like well actually I don't know if that's true social justice camp I had some friends who came out like really early as trans um, and at that time it was like whoa hey um, but I didn't super know what they were going through or talking about and they just seemed really sad mm-hmm. trans kids lives yo right. For sure. Yeah. Um, Wait, one thing. Bathroom. Mm -hmm. I'm back. Incredible. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, I've been I've been knocking out this water myself as well. Oh my god, amazing! Might be me in twenty minutes. Who's going into the? We should like have a signal. Like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) would definitely come in handy. So it sounds like that sort of trans community um, wasn't really present earlier in your life. Is there a point um, at which it got more pronounced? Is it even more pronounced now? Uh, I actually started a trans masculinity group on Meetup because okay. I work there. Mm-hmm. Um, but also because, like, it, it you know, I, you, start, you try to start the communities that you wish existed. Um, mm-hmm. And haven't really gotten the group together because I've, like, tried to schedule happy hours and stuff. But, like, Mm -hmm. I think that transmasculine people should meet up, talk about things, become better allies to femmes. Like, Mm -hmm. and talk about finding. Whatever. Like, or what, yeah. So, um, I'm kind of looking for it. My close friend of mine in college came out as trans and, like, basically, like, he um he had like he experienced it in a way where i got to experience it a lot more intimately because we were close 
Um, and he is transitioned now. Um, and I like helped do some of the aftercare for him after he got top surgery and like, um, what is community Mm -hmm. again is the question. Um, because I feel like I didn't really have it in high school because I wasn't super close with the people who um, were trans and, like, needed that. They needed more community from, like, someone who can... Someone, myself, like, myself included, but I was just, like, not ready to talk about it or ask the right questions or, like be there for them, I think, in the way that they probably needed to feel more supported. Mm -hmm. I don't know. There's definitely guilt there. Um, But, yeah, I have a close friend who's transitioned. I have... I know more trans men, definitely. Um, And I think that has to do with, like, the fact that more people have transitioned and, like, transgender issues are in the news now and, Mm -hmm. like, it's a thing that can be on your mind versus, like... I have something to tell you, and then here's my like list of metaphors that I've brought with me because this is not part of the national conversation, and so we're right. not. So you don't you need a context or a background on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, more people coming out has made a huge difference for me. Um, and actually, like the most recent dim sum that I did with queer trans Asians, like included like one um, one person who I didn't know who's also an Asian trans man, and he like was so excited to meet just another Asian trans man that he like asked me all the questions and stuff like that. But I mean, that's kind of the need that um, I'm thinking about when I think about like current community of like, it's still being created. Like there's some parts of community, like at least in the trans community that I'm still kind of missing. Um, Uh Yeah. I want to know more people of color who are transitioning basically. Right. Of course. Yeah. Um, how has, since you're a writer too and work on poetry projects, how mm-hmm. is that, um, has there been any intersection between those two? Has, say, the Asian American Writers Workshop served as a platform where it allowed you to meet more um, trans men or trans folks of color? Um, or um, is there a way in which you navigate that that's not just, say, tokenization? Uh, you mean like... I don't, like, sit in a corner with my sign being like, <laughs> trans and queer folks, come here. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it's been very natural thus far of, like, like meeting Rami, for example, mm-hmm. who um, is, like, another fellow. It's just, like, mm-hmm. I think it's a lot more natural when it isn't around identity, which makes me sound like one of those, like, but I don't see color people. <laughs> um, but I mean it in a way where... Um, we are intentionally seeking out people who are like us, but not necessarily, like, doing it in a way where it's, like, exclusive to only that. Um, I definitely have met more queer and trans Asians simply because I've intentionally put myself in more Asian American spaces. Mm. Um, I think it's honestly, like, dangerous for some people to be more out. Um, So I don't blame the like anyone on the invisibility or the feeling mm-hmm. that they don't want to be like super out there about their sexuality yeah so i try to be open about it and try to do stuff like this to mm-hmm. kind of just like be visible enough so that if you're looking for that type of community you can find it 
um, mm. because I definitely have Googled enough. Of course. Yeah. Um, so sort of positioning yourself in this place where um, you're not the like de facto organizer, though you can help folks mm -hmm. find other networks or like help develop bigger or stronger networks of support, it sounds like. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And being like the queer trans Asian dim sum thing that I'm doing mm -hmm. right now is like really me just being like, hi friends, like <sighs> let's get dim sum, but also like let's make this group public so that anyone who's looking for something like this mm -hmm. can also come. Of course. And we'll talk about the things that we usually talk about, but mm -hmm. with more people. How long has that group been going on? I just started it last month and we've had two dim sums thus far. Okay. We're having a, another one um, at the beginning of July. Um, and I'm hosting next weekend a like screening of Journey to the West in Cantonese with uh, like English subtitles oh, um, wow. for the group, which mm -hmm. is like classic thing that you watched if you grew up like in a Chinese household. Or actually, mm -hmm. most of my friends who were Vietnamese like watched it too. So I think mm -hmm. it's just it's just around. Right, right. Yeah. So just doing like very particular specific things that remind me of home with other people for whom it also reminds them of home mm -hmm. um but also having like a larger understanding or political language to understand like our identities in relation to that idea of home mm -hmm. um has been super powerful and great yeah i bet would you say you're in any processes involved in any processes of homemaking what does home mean to you as a concept <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> what is home? Mm -hmm. um, well, I love to decorate. <laughs> mm -hmm. But I also think that, like, um, home for me has been about uh, being able to choose, choose things um, in a stable way. So stability has been emotional stability, economic stability, like all those things have been really healing for me mm -hmm. um, as an individual because it makes me not dependent on other people who um, may want other things for me that I don't want to give. And so it's, for me, it's like home has been a place for me to listen to myself and to work on strengthening that core part of myself. like. When I want to make pork shoulder, I can make pork shoulder. Mm -hmm. Like, I have, I remind myself every time I go to the grocery store that, like, I get to buy anything that I want and whatever I like because mm -hmm. it's my life. And, um, yeah, like, that's a main thing for me of just being able to hold together all the pieces of your life. Like, if I want things that remind me of like being Chinese around the house I can do that if I want to buy this claw foot table from Craigslist I will do that this was a Craigslist buy? yeah it's amazing mm -hmm. there's That's more it. leads too it gets mm -hmm. even bigger oh wow I know it's this a crazy table unreal um, for the folks who are listening to this it's a gorgeous table um, <laughs> Yeah, I started mm -hmm. buying flowers for myself, too. I really mm -hmm. love flowers. Um, I can name a few, that type mm -hmm. of thing. Um, and I live, like, so close to the Botanic Garden, so it's mm -hmm. like, when are roses in season? When are peonies in season? Like, mm -hmm. there's a whole rhythm and cycle and stability and familiarity to even the, like, 
transience of flowers, which mm-hmm. is extremely comforting to me. Right. And that's kind of what home is. Like, it's like mm-hmm. a regularity in your life. It's a way that you can create structure and ritual in your own life that mm-hmm. is about you. Besides, or maybe including the queer trans in some group, what are some mm-hmm. ways in which you've created ritual or order? I know your writing practice seems to fit into that as well. Are there any other threads of that sort of intention hmm. running through your life right now? Um, I have to think about that one. Maybe the answer is no if I have to think <laughs> about it. Um, I've been really trying to not overschedule, actually. Like, um, I think that is a... A residual habit of mine from being overstimulated and stressed out and being asked to produce at rates that were not natural to me as a person mm-hmm. um, so like the calendaring thing which like is kind of cute and feels like adulting like maybe a year out of college now feels like really restrictive and like um, just like I think to me now it's a lot more like no none of that um mm-hmm. like and even I'm, I'm learning stuff kind of like even as i'm like living my life now of like oh i've noticed by writing every single day in the morning that i'm not spending enough time with myself because i have nothing to say in those mornings when if i have like an, en- an engagement every every evening of that week so um I think that's another thing about structure if there's a certain way that you know yourself to be um it's a lot easier to tell when things are not in sync mm-hmm. um which i want to make like a bye 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 joke right now but i, I can't i can't mm-hmm. find the joke inside so oh well right. um but yeah that's it's kind of um now i'm trying to figure out like how does unstructure work for me because mm-hmm. I'm such a like goals driven, do things now, solve the problem now type of person, um, and uh, yeah, the the person who I mentioned earlier who I dated was um, or and is like not very much a like structure person, mm-hmm. um, and they really helped me understand why that's really nice and and good to have. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so I'm figuring out what that means for me in my own life. Of like, how can I be soupy for a little bit? Right, an important thing to figure out for sure. Mm-hmm. How is that playing out with uh, the group you started? Is it at all? How do you? Ju- uh, how do I be soupy? The, or like the structure <laughs> inherent in need to like make something that people go to, mm-hmm. or that people know they can go to, versus allowing some flexibility in there. Hmm. Uh, I really actually think it has to do with, um, again, desire and need and aligning that as much as possible. So, um, like, I'll post, like, an event and be like, hey, this is going to happen, but also I could do, like, this day or maybe the week after if that works better. So it's, like, flexibility and planning, which is, I think, the most literal or explicit way to, like, talk about that. But I think the thing that's interesting for me is figuring out how that has has or could work in my friendships Mm -hmm. um excuse me i found that like you can have a 
a cadence with people of like I'll see you like every three weeks or something like that and that really works for some of my friends who I have like like chill like we'll see each other about every three three weeks that's like how often we want to see each other mm-hmm. um but I think that it's been really important that I have some friends in that group who really reliably show up um, because it gives me energy to keep hosting and Mm -hmm. trying to do that stuff. Um, And then also acknowledging that, like, there are people who really want to show up who, for whatever reason, can't this in this particular moment and being forgiving and kind to that and just always responding positively to when other people express those needs Mm -hmm. so um yeah i think valuing that type of unstructure for me has allowed me to be a lot more empathetic to what that could mean for other people or it could just be like you have like a chronic illness and just like can't get out all the time of course yeah and but you still want to be invited to everything Mm -hmm. which is like obviously of course how does empathy play out in your life? Is that something that has changed uh, your relationship, has changed as you've leaned more in towards a trans identity? Or how have you grappled with the issue of empathy? <laughs> <laughs> These are really, like, intense questions. I like it. <laughs> um, empathy is, like, a really interesting one because I think that... Um, shift a little Mm -hmm. a wrinkle in the sound um it's i think it's been very easy for me in my life to slide into the background and Mm -hmm. to not i mean it's it's been like one way or the other i'm either demanding attention or i've been just like well i'm not useful here i'm not worthy to be heard or, or something like that it's not even about worth maybe but it's about like I'm used to my voice not being the one speaking so I'm not going to or I'm just gonna shut down for a little bit and I've ended up in like friendships or relationships where I end up being the listener and my one of my uh my friend calls it calls it um me being like a sidekick Mm-hmm. Um, which is kind of, yeah, you know, you, you're kind of like hashtag extra. You're like not the center of the party and you're not being engaged with in a meaningful way. And, um, but for me, I was always like very much able to like empathize and understand and like play that kind of, do that in like affective labor for another person, mm-hmm. um, without the other person really, re- like they would say like, oh, it feels so good to talk to you. I feel really listened to etc but to not have that reciprocated and to also for me like not demand that um and so figuring out the trans thing has actually helped me move more towards like um like for example i started exercising um every day starting like last month or not every day six times a week rest days um but that was a huge thing for me because my relationship to my body in the past has just been like here are all the imperfections and I need them to go away. Whereas like now that I understand my gender, gender identity a lot more, I'm like, Oh, like I want my body to, to like be healthy in this particular way. And I've started thinking about my body as this like place, like it's, we're a team and like sometimes things don't go well and sometimes things are great. And I have some power over like how great things are. Um, 
and the more grounded I feel in my body, the more I'm able to be like, hey, like that thing that you are doing right now is not actually helping me feel good because I'm actually feeling the feelings um, that exist physically for me of like discomfort or sadness or frustration and like so much of um, dysphoria for me has just been disembodiment and Mm -hmm. like lack of access to anything that I would want Mm -hmm. including being listened to for I don't know three hours at this point (laughs) of course how has that sort of listening role how did that impact your earliest kind of relationships with trans people I'm thinking about your close friend from college and also um, the friend uh, from high school who it sounds sort of confided in you about her gender Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways how did that impact like those relationships in or I guess in what ways thinking about being a listener was that predominantly mm-hmm. your relationship to both of those people do you if you maintain contact with both of those people has your role in relation to them changed at all um yeah i would i well uh for the high school relationship i was like i wasn't super close with that person mm-hmm. so i really don't know where she is right now right. i actually tried looking for her on facebook back when i was on facebook mm-hmm. um like a couple of weeks ago but just like she had um she changed her name and so like i just don't know if she's still going by the same name or if she has another one now so mm-hmm. um yeah i hope she's i hope she's okay and that she's flourishing and living the best life that she wants to um and the other friend i'm still like pretty good friends with and he was here like a couple of days ago and i um read through some readings for his natal chart which was okay. um very important for us to do mm-hmm. um but he actually took a he he ne- i would say that he never really treated me as a friend who like was there to just listen to like to his problems or to mm-hmm. like help him figure things out um on the contrary i found him to, to i found it to be um hard for him like to like open up to me about stuff that had happened to him and like how he was feeling about things like he would kind of talk about things in a more surface level way than like get down deep with me about them so that has actually changed in our relationship because I think as I've become a little more emotionally sensitive I've been I'm an Aries so Mm -hmm. eh, um I've become a little more able to listen to those Scorpio feels oh he's a Scorpio yeah (laughs) <laughs> no hate no hate what are you um, uh pisces pisces Across the board, but with a really diamond. oh my god so it's much pisces exact opposite of kanye west's chart um, <laughs> amazing i try um, <laughs> but was does astrology hold much resonance for you or? oh yeah mm-hmm. love it of and course. Well, like, I took a ton of, like, personality tests when I was Mm -hmm. in middle school, when I was trying to figure out who I was. Mm -hmm. Um, But also, I found astrology and tarot and, like, all this woo-woo stuff to be, like, to contain a structure of affective knowledge that, like, I really needed and wanted. Mm -hmm. Um, 
it's like part of me being able to like feel and be in the soupiness which mm-hmm. is now just a term right. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, when I was having a really rough time with anxiety, insomnia, and that stuff, like, getting my tarot read was, like, really soothing and provided structure and direction for a, an emotional place that I didn't know where, where it was necessarily going. Mm-hmm. Um, and the same thing, with, um, same thing with astrology. Like, having a weekly horoscope or even a daily horoscope is, like, weirdly comforting because you can at least... Even though it's not about like predicting the future or about fortune telling so much, like mm-hmm. having an emotional ground onto which one might stand is like, um, I think important to at least like when a million things are going through your brain slash heart, like mm-hmm. you can at least be like, okay, I'm gonna start here and then I'll go up here and here and here and here. But mm-hmm. here's the like overarching like mood that we're yeah. gonna be in. So it's sort of, so sort of a grounding, mm-hmm. uh, a grounding pole in some ways. Yeah, it's it's like therapy for people who can't afford therapy. Mm-hmm. Totally. What speaking of grounding poles is? It sounds like the group that you started sort of serves that role. Which one? As well. <laughs> um, that's a great question. Are there? I'm thinking more about queer trans mm-hmm. uh, meetup, but if there are other groups that you're also involved with, I know there's the. AAWW informal thing that you're hosting as well. Mm-hmm. Are there any other projects that you're especially excited about <laughs> that you did? Well, um, the I mean the the mm-hmm. group that you're talking about, the queer trans Asian group, is definitely mm-hmm. grounding for me. Like it's um, experimental for me to mm-hmm. try and find what Asian American community can look like and feel like, and. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a conversation and a practice that I want to be involved with. Like, mm-hmm. um, I'm, I'm doing like a Christmas orphan dinner this year too. Like, you know, going to other people's Thanksgivings, going to other people's Christmases was something that I did for a while. And, um, it's also like a, an imposed thing because it's just mm-hmm. like everyone else is doing it. I don't particularly like celebrate Christmas, but right. you know, it's like a particular isolationist thing. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, yeah, so that's like the queer trans group is a practice that I really care about doing. Um, and the, and writing has actually been like a way for me to kind of be in a community. It's a professional community, um, mm-hmm. but I gravitate towards people I hope who I can have like longer lasting relationships with versus like beyond the like I'm an editor and you're a writer or vice versa (laughs) and like we can maybe help you help each other make something happen that type of thing um I've like made some really good friends from poetry workshops Mm -hmm. who like um these two friends I have who are both Aquarii Aquariuses um I've been confused about that myself (laughs) um they, I met them in a, like, in a master class, for example, and we've been friends for two years, over two mm-hmm. years at this point. So it's been really great. How did you sort of navigate into an editorial role in poetry? Same. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think about that. Uh, I started, uh, well, I got involved with this magazine called Naproot, and... Mm-hmm. Um, first became a reader for them and then I had ideas about where I thought the magazine could like go in so um, I like had the uh, like board staff do an exercise of like writing everyone writing their 
aesthetic ideas of like what the magazine should be publishing basically uh-huh. um and then we kind of like stitched those together and made like an aesthetic statement out of it uh-huh. um so i've been always kind of like i think interested after i started actually becoming involved in magazines uh-huh. interested in like driving like what should we be talking about and why and what, uh-huh. what where's the intentionality behind this kind of a pattern in my life of like what's the intention what are the ethics uh-huh. like um how it how can we be thoughtful about this? Um, so I just basically had more and more conversations like that at the magazine and then edited, ended up publishing a queer trans portfolio on um, Naproot mm-hmm. um, in the fall, which was, or not in the fall, it was in... Uh, it's just a month or two ago, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. It felt like mm-hmm. a long time ago because we... We had submissions until January, I think. Mm-hmm. So I was that was kind of when I was like super involved right. with it. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because I was curious how much of a role you had to do with that folio specifically. Were oh you, yeah. Was it exclusively you? Were you working and like sort of bottom lining or envisioning it? Was it something that the other editors were immediately receptive to? Um so the concept of folios I kind of like borrowed from Drunken Boat, which mm-hmm. like now anomaly. Now anomaly, yes. Um and they <laughs> Sorry, <God. laughs> we'll edit it out. <laughs> That's an aside. <laughs> Now I have the giggles. Hold on, hold on. Um, so the idea of folios was really mm-hmm. borrowed from um, Drunken Boat, now Anomaly, um, and I really love the concept of inviting people who were not necessarily editors, but who had a vision and who wanted to start conversations that we were not necessarily thinking about. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of a lot of thoughts about gatekeeping and what that means mm-hmm. and access to like publishing platforms and. Or, or editing, right? Um, so I brought that idea to Naproot and was like, I also want to do the first one. Um, I, so I thought of the Queer Trans Folio, which I think had just been like a thing that I wanted to exist. Mm-hmm. Um, and the board editors were um, all like gung-ho and like ready to do it and really loved it. And um, yeah, so I, I read all the submissions. Uh, I tried to, I I wanted to be really thoughtful about um, who we picked is the next thing that I was going to say, but it's like, it's not so much about, um, editing is not about like picking, I guess. It's like, it's not like you're on our team or you're not on our team. It Mm -hmm. was like, um, definitely like what was moving me and resonating with me the most because this was something that I grew up with. Um, or like identities that I had grown up with, like um, what were the specific and unique experiences that um, I wanted to hear or talk about. And sometimes people would bring things that I just didn't know about Mm -hmm. that like were like, oh shit, yeah. Um, So I solicited um, a good portion of the folio and then we had some incredible, um, incredible submissions. And Mm -hmm. it was... It was so nice to give these writers space um, Uh and to have them alongside, like, you know, how it kind of works, like, 
some more like famous poets with like or like voices who you've seen around with people who I haven't seen around personally um, mm-hmm. so yeah that was yeah. it was a really gratifying um, project to work on because again it's like one of those things where it's like kind of selfishly it's like I wish I mm-hmm. had seen something like this yeah so it sounds like it was a pretty personal project for you in a lot of ways yeah yeah did it develop at all alongside the more personal writing you started doing were those things in conversation um actually kind of no it was like that writing project was really like one like i know it's definitely related because i'm the same person and Mm -hmm. like i have like um like i am the context here um but i wasn't actively thinking about the editorial project as like a way for me to get more sources for the material that I was working on. It was more of just like I wanted to do justice to whatever I was trying to get at because I wasn't sure what I was getting at, but I was getting at something. Um, and I think that the uh, the folio itself was really just like how can I make some like make something exist that I know exists but is not being kind of like coaxed out or talked about or um, wanted, I guess, at the moment, which, and not wanted is not the right term, but more like asked for, I guess. Yeah. Like something that's not in vogue. Mm -hmm. Of course. And yet at the same time, there's been, um, especially I'm thinking in 2015 or so, Mm -hmm. um, though even now an increased attention or maybe even a fetishization of certain types of transness how Mm. (laughs) um, tell me more mm -hmm. (laughs) how has that affected you or how do you see yourself your work and the work that you elevate in terms of that specific type of increased visibility that's you know i was actually like I was thinking about that. I I think I feel as though I think about it almost every day. Of like, if by curating a folio of queer and trans Asians, am I putting like a target on every single one of these people? As like, you're gonna be tokenized in 24 hours. Like they're coming for you. Like that is something that I really worry about, and that mm-hmm. I think is just gonna happen. Like, and we're gonna have to keep talking about it. Like, mm-hmm. um. There's definitely in my own professional like life of like how much of how much of my success stands on the fact that you like my work or that you just need another person of color on this panel or you need another person of color at this reading. Um, and maybe I'm like a ton of different identity cards that you can wave around because not only am I a person of color, but I'm also queer and I'm trans, like mm-hmm. and I'm an immigrant or like a survivor of abuse like what like you can just keep piling it on right and um i do worry that like we are more interested in ideas of people than in the people themselves mm-hmm. um and that's honestly i don't have like an answer for how to balance that or figure figure out how to do um that justice mm-hmm. yet um but it's definitely something that i worry about and i think about as an editor um and also as a writer for myself. Mm-hmm. It sounds like political engagement, or at least 
political grappling with those specific sorts of issues mm -hmm. is important to you in your editorial and your creative work. Mm -hmm. Does that extend to your professional life? Like as well, your my diversity and inclusiveness work in tech. Exactly. <laughs> Is that something that you also dedicate your efforts to, or do you sort of try to keep the two worlds um, more or less separate? I will say that it's been a little harder to do in tech because mm -hmm. um, bread and butter, day job, that type of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, when I was working at my last company, I was very active in diversity and inclusiveness initiatives and got pretty burned and burnt out on them. Mm -hmm. um, I wasn't trans at the time. I can't even imagine what it would have been like. I actually have a friend who's still there who is trans, so mm -hmm. I could ask him, really. Um, but the... The overarching experience that I had in tech was that I was doing maybe like 150% of the work and got very little power or recognition around it. Mm -hmm. So kind of your run-of-the-mill corporate diversity experience. Um, yeah, the more stuff I said yes to, the, the less the... Like, I mean, it was like, yes, more stuff would come in my direction, but it would be like okay, cool, please do more labor around this. Please, like, mentor people. Here's another, like, women in tech thing. And, like, mm -hmm. I, and I even experienced this in, like, women in tech spaces where it would be, like, some organizer would be, like, but don't you want other people of color to see a person of color on the stage? Like, when asking me to do something for free in the span of, like, two weeks. Mm -hmm. Like, um... Mm -hmm. Yeah, like that. It's that type of like fucked up like use of privilege and power of like, look how invisible you are. Wouldn't it be great if you were was the if you were the visible piece here and that like other people could find you and like see see you as an example? Um, and yeah, so I got a lot of that, and it wasn't a fun thing. But things are a little better at Meetup. Um, okay. I'm completely out there. My entire team like knew my pronouns before I stepped into the building. My manager, who um, I'd met like only during the interviewing process, went ahead and asked me about my pronouns even before I like got to my first day. So I think that he and the rest of the human like human resources mm -hmm. department—he <laughs> <laughs> um, and the other and the recruiting team kind of like took care of those aspects. Um, the facilities team was really receptive when I asked for there to be tampons and trash cans in the men's bathroom. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, there have been like nice things um, that I feel really lucky to have at Meetup that I don't think I would have been able to ask for at maybe other companies that I was interviewing at. Mm -hmm. How much of that do you think is is that a result of Meetup specifically, or is it also a result of um, the way these specific policies and politics have progressed? I'm, I guess to frame that more specifically, mm -hmm. um, it sounds that going back to college, you were involved in a variety of different industries with your internships, um, your economics degree, mm -hmm. the brief period of time that you were interested in music work as well. I didn't get an economics degree. Oh, didn't you say you <laughs> majored in econ? I was in econ for a hot second, okay. and then it was the wrong decision. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. What did yeah. you major in? 
I did this thing called information science and tacked on comparative mm -hmm. media theory to that. So okay. that was like an applied computer science degree uh. um, that was uh, like a computer science core. So I took like mm -hmm. data structures and um, I didn't take algorithms, which honestly should be part of a core, mm -hmm. but like intro to programming and stuff like that. And then I took um, kind of like applications of computer science in X classes. So. Mm -hmm. I just like that means just like pick another department and take a class that has to do with computer science and um, that thing. So uh -huh. me, I'm interested in literature, digital humanities. Um, so I ended up taking like a lot of English and comparative lit classes, uh -huh. which was awesome. Huh? Emergent digital rhetoric, that sort of thing. Um, I don't know about okay. that, but <laughs> yes. Mm -hmm. Um. Yeah, that sounds incredible, but... It was a fun time. Mm -hmm, I bet. Though, was there any sort of progression you saw from when you first started getting involved in those things back when you moved to New York to mm -hmm. now? What does the historical timeline for that and for general diversity or handling of that in New York corporate settings seem to be? Hmm. Can you generalize that even? <laughs> I don't know if I can, honestly. Mm -hmm. um, I was... I was a weird student, honestly. Like, I was taking creative writing classes. I took history classes. I thought I wanted to be in anthropology. Um, I was just kind of all over. I took this class on sound. Like, it, I was kind of all over the place. Um, and I think that kind of translates in my, like, commitment to tech in general. There's a lot of skepticism there of, like, mm -hmm. well, like... There are certain things that I care about and that I want to happen. And for a while, I thought that, like, really working hard on diversity initiative stuff would, like, be part of that. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm realizing that um, I have power and can... I don't have to do all the labor all at once myself. Um, so it's been a lot more, like, just moving myself to a place where I can be more effective along diversity. So, like, um, even, like making moves to like ask for certain things like at the company means that there will be more space for the next person who like comes mm -hmm. in and makes a similar request gotcha. so yeah instead of wide sweeping like let's change the entire all the ways that we do diversity it's mm -hmm. like a lot more about like am i at the am i at a company that wants to be accountable to the type of things that i want them to be accountable for and like um the outgoing um like i would say the director of like um humans like mm -hmm. at meetup had a strong passion for diversity and like actually measuring it in terms of like inclusiveness which sounds like kind of like this but it like is really real of like it's about doing like qualitative surveys with everyone at the company and asking them like hey do you feel like you're safe here and that you can ask for stuff that you want and need um, and I think that that can be really effective for people who are not as who are not going to be as loud about um, their needs in a corporate setting, but mm -hmm. who might, when asked the right questions, um, like actually offer that type of information. Right. Well, that makes a lot of sense. What are some ways in which you feel like you've gone about doing that work? Um, asking the right questions. Asking the right questions, or even making things. Um, easier or more manageable or slightly more diverse for people further on down the line? Um, I think a big thing at my last company, because I, I mean, I 
only have been at Meetup for a couple of months at this mm-hmm. point. Um, but at my last company, I was there enough where I felt comfortable enough to like speak at any Q and A or mm-hmm. like call out some bullshit if I saw some bullshit. And being the loud one means that other people will confide in you. Like you have no idea who's listening. And, like, someone will randomly message you and be like, hey, I have this problem. Like, Mm -hmm. haven't told anyone about it, but, like, what do you think? Like, uh, I don't know what to do. Um, Or it could be someone who's like, I really like the thing that you said in this other channel, like, in this other chat channel that I, like, couldn't, didn't want to respond to, but thank you for saying that thing. Um, Or it can be, um, I have a question that I want to ask, but I'm afraid to ask it. Will you ask it for me? And, like, yeah. Mm -hmm totally down to do that also like hashtag allyship i guess Mm -hmm. yeah yeah that makes sense and is that saying that you've sort of become aware of or a trait that you've tried to cultivate in yourself recently or do you feel it's always been there to some degree or another through your time in these spaces i think that i was always i've always been interested in um helping like people who are not able like so mm-hmm. cheesy but like helping people who are not able to speak and mm-hmm. i think that has a lot to do with my own trauma as much as it has to do with other people's trauma mm-hmm. um but i think i've gotten a lot more um i've gotten more sophisticated around it even though i'm not i'm still not like good at it mm-hmm. right like um there's a lot of there are definitely lots of ways that i could be a better ally to the people who i love and the people who I love who love other people that type of thing like mm-hmm. um but yeah I mean like I wanted to be like a social entrepreneur like that had I wanted to do something big or meaningful that impacted a lot of people and changed their lives for the better which is like a very generic way of saying it but like I do think that it, it's about like reaching that person who doesn't have any other resources and giving them a reason to keep living mm-hmm. and um helping create representation where there is no representation and there sorely needs it and whatever sorely needs it mm-hmm. so is that perhaps a linkage between your more uh, creative or editorial work and the work that you do in tech then yeah i guess so i mean i'm like my personal goals really align with mm-hmm. my company's goals which is like get as many people as possible to like create groups and have those groups exist like mm-hmm and meet up and again it's like I feel like I'm just spewing (laughs) Kool-Aid but I genuinely believe in it because it's something that I also practice in my creative life of like Mm -hmm. what and what is like creative what is community and um in the poetry world and in the literary world like how can we make power with each other Mm -hmm. <laughs> rubbing good, the sticks together. Right. One can only try. And um we've been talking for a bit over uh two hours, so I suspect <laughs> energy is starting to wind down a little bit. Flagging. Um flagging for sure. Mm-hmm. Um hopefully in just one sense of the word. But Yeah, yeah. Um <laughs> I'm just going to I guess ask you a few more questions about community specifically mm-hmm. and then um revolve back around to New York again specifically and mm-hmm. maybe end the interview around there if that sounds good sounds great um so you've already talked a bit about ways and i'm glad that you brought in um meet up towards the end there because 
um, it seems like you're viewing it as a platform for community and community building specifically. Mm -hmm. uh, you've talked a lot about ways in which you found trans community um, and ways in which you've sort of participated in poetry community as well. Mm -hmm. Have there been any other communities, especially since you've moved to New York, that have played an important role for you? trying to think about that um, I think there's community in proximity that doesn't get talked a lot uh, talked about a lot um, mm -hmm. it's really easy especially in New York to not think about closeness as geographical closeness mm -hmm. um, as a reason for people to want to know each other and uh the taco shop on my corner is a place where I organize pumpkin carvings and have casual, like, walk-by conversations. And do I know everyone's name? I'm trying to, but um, I randomly know some of my neighbors, not all of them. And being able to talk about your life with someone who just shares the same context as you even if it's like this the, it's, there's the same store across from your apartment or something mm -hmm. um is really valuable because it's it's built in um in that you like i think that community kind of happens based on repetition and it's not like an it's not necessarily an intentional practice like um, the queer trans group or the writing groups that I'm a part of like happen out of similar interests. Um, but I, it's been really important for me to understand that I can be interested in other people for no reason at all. Like that are really like that related to me. Like it's just that I can. I can relate to them because we live in the same space and we maybe want the same things for the neighborhood that we live in. Mm -hmm. um, and it kind of goes the other way around too, right? Like I can be cared for for no reason. And that's a really important thing for me to feel and know in a place where I live alone and where um, I think New York especially can be wrapped inside the capitalist shell tighter than any other place in mm -hmm. the States. Probably have some arguments with that, but um, yeah, it's a really lonely city. So mm -hmm. um, my investment in community, which is like this really like nebulous word in a way, um, is kind of in the safety of repetition and recognition. How do you find intimacy through that? Is there, um, since New York can be, like you said, so lonely and isolating, mm -hmm. what sort of intimacies do you try to look for, both in terms of location and in terms of community, and even in terms of like um, personal, platonic, or romantic, Mm -hmm. interactions with people is there a specific thing that you're looking for or that you try to um, cultivate in your life 
It's a very interesting question. I feel myself panicking about how to answer that. Um, because the first thing that comes to mind is that I want stability, mm-hmm. but like actually what I want is like authenticity. And I feel really weird about authentic- authenticity as an idea mm-hmm. because there's like, what is real and who gets to say what's real. Um, but there's something in there about sharing practices of care. And like for me, learning different practices of care has been extremely important because it's helped me build a life different from the one that I was living in and therefore it's and therefore like I've changed and my life has changed because of it um so I guess in intimacy what I'm looking for is that kind of desire to be in process and to um share that in a kind of like repetitive uh ongoing way um and i i think it can be really hard to find because there's what what is the signal for that Mm -hmm. right like um is it a tinder swipe (laughs) like um and there's also just like these barriers that exist between people around just like um, trauma around identity and understanding that hmm, talking to a person who has this particular background will probably not make me feel good about this particular intimate thing about myself. Or maybe like that's also an assumption and those types of things. So um, yeah, I'm I think I try to interact with people just in a way where like in process if there's something going on with vulnerability or if there's a door opening like I let it happen and engage with it Um, and if that turns into a stronger relationship of some sort whether it's a friendship or romantic relationship or um, just like a neighborly relationship like um, that's something that I get to have and reciprocate in my life mm-hmm. if i want it it's also yeah. about if i want it mm-hmm. can you think of one example of a door opening specifically that has led to either an increased friendship or an increased romantic relationship recently in your life um i wouldn't say it's the most recent one mm-hmm. but like literally the first thing that popped into my mind is that it's my like first uh my first floor neighbor mm-hmm. who lives in my building um I was going through a breakup at the time and I just knocked on her door to be like, yo, like we said we were going to get tacos at some point, blah, blah, blah. Like it was just kind of like a random thing where it's like proximity again. Mm -hmm. And we ended up talking for a really long time just outside her door about building stuff and like things that were going on, like with the, uh, I don't know, with her and with me that were like kind of like surface level. She literally opened her door <laughs> and let me into her apartment and we started talking a little more for longer and at some point I was so anxious that I like I don't know if you've ever experienced this but like I was ex- so anxious that I couldn't think straight or see straight 
um, just like breathing stuff. Um, and after a certain point, I burst into tears and just like talked about like what was really going on with me. And um, she was really incredibly gracious about it with me and not in a like nice, to, oh, nice to me in, in a way, but like related to me and talked to me about it. Um, and we became closer because of that. And it's just mm -hmm. like, literally the door opened and literally I asked like very quietly for the type of interaction that I needed that night. Mm -hmm. That sounds really meaningful. Um, it's been really great, yeah. yeah. In what ways does your trans identity inform those sorts of interactions? I know you've talked about feeling comfortable with some degree of misgendering for safety reasons. Are there any mm -hmm. safety concerns that you have on a day-to-day -day level? How do you navigate those? Um, I think especially when I first started really presenting myself in the masculine form, mm -hmm. it's like a Transformers thing, in the masculine form that I wanted to um, like be in I just I felt really self-conscious if people were staring at me mm -hmm. or especially if men uh, cis men were looking at me because I think in particular the types of violence that I was afraid of just like became externalized and symbolized by every single passing cis man that I saw mm -hmm. and there were some moments where like I'd be crossing the street and I play the game where it's like I make eye contact with you and I try not to move out of the way because my whole life I've been socialized to move out of the way mm -hmm. Um, but there have been some moments where, like, literally I would make eye contact with, like, a tall man or something. And there was one time we were crossing, I was crossing the street, and he just stopped in front of me and wouldn't move until I moved. And it was just this, like, very quiet, loud um, motion of, like, bravado and masculinity and threat um, that still is a thing um every time i like enter a men's restroom of just this like anxiety of like not so much about like my gender identity but like the security of other men in the space of what their feelings about their gender identity and me being in their space so um yeah there was another part to that question <laughs> but now i'm just having memories of being in bathrooms gotcha um I was, the other part was just um, sort of other sort of safety concerns that mm -hmm. you had, if there are any besides, or how those safety concerns have changed um, mm. from when you started presenting in a more masculine kind of way. Um, so, I mean, definitely mm -hmm. like violence from cis men, mm -hmm. and then just like tokenization which we've talked about a little bit mm -hmm. and then um i've been trying to think a lot more critically about my interactions with femme people um which like there's only so much i can say has been like not great of like learning how to take up space for me was really like mediated through this idea of like masculinity being a good thing and a certain type of aggressive masculinity being a good thing um and so i've like i really learned how to value optimization being taking up space when i want it being loud and um just doing the exact opposite of what i had been socialized to do and 
kind of in process, like silencing probably people along the way. So I don't know, like, it's like not really productive for me to like sit and wallow in guilt about it. Um, but there's definitely now that I recognize myself as a masculine person that I realize that I can be the source of that type of harm. And, um, it's not, that type of behavior is not something that you can think your way to solving. And so I think that's another part of like why my projects have been about being in, in process and in, in, in presence because it's about how I respond. It's about being present when I respond to something and thinking about it a lot more um, when it's happening or mm-hmm. developing reflexes that are, are a lot more thought out. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like that's been a more recent development as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are there any other um, sort of moments of intentionality that you would like to talk about that you've been cultivating recently or even have cultivated through living in New York that we haven't discussed? Not really. I just watch a lot more TV that I think is quote-unquote junk, which it's actually amazing. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you knew this about TV. (laughs) I'm I'm well aware. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have... Are there any experiences with um, healthcare specifically in the city that have been notable or have been comment worthy for you? Is that something that you um, know about, feel about, exactly. do about? Mm-hmm. Um, I I haven't personally like received care yet around mm-hmm. like my trans questions, um, but my I have friends who have, and I've gotten advice from them. Um, so right now I'm like trying to see if I can get an appointment at Mount Sinai. I like made a call to Apicha at one point, but then I felt really weird about taking up space in like at Sender specifically for um, uh, like people who like need the space and the price points a lot more than I do. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like Apicha and like Helen Lord. Um, so yeah, also like class privilege. Like mm-hmm. ha- I don't know, like. I'm a person of color, but also I, I can access whatever transition stuff I want. Um, partially because my, my work actually covers that in our health insurance. Oh, wow. Amazing! Mm-hmm. Um, and they told me when they were recruiting me, too, just like, FYI, just in case you wanted to know. And I was like, <laughs> yes, I want to know. <laughs> but, yeah, also because, like, I, I can afford it. So, mm-hmm. yeah. No, that makes sense. Um, is there... Are there any questions that you feel haven't been addressed so far that you'd like to talk about stuff? You're an incredibly thorough interviewer, <laughs> so actually no. Okay. <laughs> if there was stuff I wanted to talk about, you thoroughly covered it, and you asked me questions that I was like, is this the same interview? Like... <laughs> It's been great. It's true. I'm glad to hear it. Thank you. All right. Let me just move on to a couple of wrap-up questions then. How do you feel emotionally, mentally, and physically right now? (laughs) Well, physically, I'm not going to lie. I'm extremely hungry. (laughs) So that's the first thing that's on my mind. Um, Mentally, I feel like really chill. Like Mm -hmm. I've enjoyed this conversation I've had to think a little bit about some of my answers um and emotionally I also feel like 
pretty good. I feel like spent in a nice way. Okay. Yeah. If you want people to hear one thing from you, uh, what would it be? Oh shit! <laughs> can that be the? Can that be the quote? Mm-hmm. Um, Uh, there are a couple, there are always like a couple of things. Like mm-hmm. I would say, like it's okay to not come out. It's okay to be in process. It's mm-hmm. okay to like not necessarily be achieving all the time. Like mm-hmm. I don't know. There's a ton of stuff there. Doing do stuff like one step at a time. Mm-hmm. Cheesy but useful. Of course. Um. In a similar sort of note, if you want to be remembered for one thing. <laughs> this is like a MySpace bulletin, uh-huh. like, survey. <laughs> I want to be remembered mm-hmm. for something. Um, ugh. It's, like, very revealing about how one answers this, including the discomfort that you mm-hmm. feel. Um, I want to be remembered for um, allowing, like, silence to take up space and to cheat a little, um, to speak to someone who, like, otherwise wouldn't have been able to articulate something that they needed to. Um, Is there a way that you'd want... I want to remember to be for something. I was thinking about like how to want to wait what to um, perhaps that's getting a little bit too <laughs> deep into its own belly button. Um, <laughs> tell me wait the, tell me again. Let me, let me rephrase that. That was a that was a very good answer. I'm curious if mm-hmm. there are desires that you wish you had. Hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I feel like part of this conversation has been about desire, so mm-hmm. it's like a meta, it's a meta com- right. conversational thing. What do mm-hmm. I want to be wanting? Um, actually, that's actually a, a thing that I've written about. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, that's a thing, like wanting to want, right. um, wanting to have access to an emotion like that. Or um, I, I think I feel really hesitant to answer something like mm-hmm. that because that's kind of the way that I've orchestrated my entire life of like having goals, being Mm -hmm. around it. Um, and, uh, yeah, I guess I'm moving towards and I'm wanting, um, to be in a place where I'm, I'm not necessarily wanting stuff anymore or not feeling like I'm running on empty in some capacity Mm -hmm. of my life. Like I want to be, um, I want to have those thing, the things that I need kind of in rhythm with myself. That makes a lot of sense. And I asked you once already, but just to ask again, is there anything else that you want to add? Nope. Great. I'm good. Um, is there anyone else you know who might be interested in participating in the oral history? Um, we yeah, can talk I about know, this yeah. off the record if you want to. Yeah, I mean, I have a couple of friends okay. who like... I don't know if they'd be interested, but maybe, mm-hmm. you know, so 
Yeah, we can talk to you about it afterwards. Okay, sounds good. Well, I think that's the conclusion of this. Thank you so much for your time. It was a delight talking to you. It was really great talking to you, Zeth. <laughs>